Welcome to this special ProPass webinar series. We have started a collaboration with ProPass Consortium and are publishing their webinars in podcast format so more people can benefit from their useful content. In short, ProPass is an international research collaboration platform of cohorts using Taiwan accelerometry to explore the effects of physical activity, posture, and sleep patterns on a wide range of health outcomes. Without further ado, let's jump to ProPass webinar. Thank you, Matthew. A question that is going to, I think, lead us quite nicely into our into our next presentation from Aidan Doherty. Do you have any plans to include compositional data analysis, which really lends itself to activity type? That's a very lovely question, and you're right, that does go very nicely into Joe's presentation. So Joe will be covering activity intensity, but this question, yes, there are plans in the immediate future with ProPAX's data resource to address compositional data analysis with activity type. Thank you, Matthew. Great presentation. Let's move on to our fourth and final speaker in this first session. So this is the, the piece of work that, that Manos prefaced in his introduction. Uh, our presenter is uh, Dr. Joe Blodgett, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute of Sport, Exercise and Health at the University College London. And you can see the, present, the uh, title for Joe's presentation on screen now. So I will hand over to Joe. Great. Thank you, Andy. So I wanted to start off with a, an announcement that uh, Manos has already alluded to in his opening talk. So we're really happy to share that the, our first database paper, so using the ProPass pooling resource, has been accepted for publication in the European Heart Journal. So my presentation today is going to be a sneak peek of some of the results and then a brief summary of what you can expect. So just to add to, to Matthew's presentation about where this work sits, it's part of the British Heart Foundation grant. We have a, a large project aimed to better understand how the full spectrum of physical behaviors are associated with cardiovascular disease risk and all-cause mortality. The specific aim of this paper is to look at associations between compositions of the 24-hour movement behaviors and different adiposity and cardiometabolic biomarkers as outcomes. So as you know, cardiovascular disease is the world's number one killer. So it's responsible for about third of global deaths, and this is quite disproportionate compared to um, the other causes. One of the major risk factors is physical inactivity. And the reason why we're here, all here today is to look at a factor that might be able to prevent or mitigate um, different disease risks. So this is physical activity. So this infographic here highlights some of the main globally accepted recommendations on physical activity. So this is about half an hour a day of moderate to moderate intensity activity or two and a half hours per week of moderate to vigorous intensity. However, this is still quite a one-size-fits-all approach, not getting into uh, more detail on activity type, on intensity. And a lot of, a lot of this, these guidelines have sort of resulted in a public health message about moving more and sitting less. This is a fantastic message for many, but for us, we really want to get into what this means. How can we dig into what type of movement should happen? What type of um, sedentary behavior should happen less? How often should that be? So the key gaps that we wanted to address with this piece of research was capturing all device-measured behavior across the day. So those um, previous guidelines are based largely upon self-reported data. 
So things like incidental activity, maybe running for the bus, or even how long you're, you're standing or doing, doing dishes might not always be, be captured in self-reported data. As we saw in Matthew's presentations, there's different associations between different activity types and different postures. So it goes beyond just, just capturing physical activity as a whole. These, these movement behaviors are related. So we know that they occur within a 24-hour finite day, and any increase in one behavior is going to have an impact on the others. So we wanted to look at this independence, and we also wanted to estimate how changes in one behavior could impact different outcomes. So for example, if we decrease 20 minutes of sitting and replace it with 20 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity, how could that change, theoretically change something like BMI? So a, a brief description of the pooling project cohort that Matthew gave a nice introduction to. We have just over 15,000 people across the six cohorts. It's a middle-aged cohort, so an average age of 53.7. About half are female and it's still a fairly healthy sample, about, although about a third are on medications and about 10% have a previous history of cardiovascular disease. We focused our 24-hour behaviors on a five-part composition, and I really want to highlight standing here as something that deviates from a way a lot of 24-hour compositions are presented. So we often see four parts, but here using the ActiPass method that Peter presented, we were able to differentiate, um, differentiate standing from more sedentary or more light activities. These are the list of covariates that we um, adjusted for, and we also further adjusted for um, an additional set that weren't captured in all six cohorts. And then we looked at um, six different outcomes. So for today, I'll be focusing again on BMI, um, but the whole paper itself goes into detail on each of the six outcomes. So we used compositional data analysis, um, and this allowed us to examine how time um, reallocation between behaviors would have a theoretical impact on the outcomes. I mentioned earlier some of the benefits of this, but specifically that this method recognizes the finite nature of the 24-hour day. So more traditional regressions might say for every one-hour increase in sedentary time, this is the impact on your outcome, um, not recognizing that there is a, a cut point um, within that, a natural cut point within that 24-hour day. And then also it recognizes that these behaviors are, are highly related to each other. So challenging to look at any of them in isolation. So on, on to the results. So this is the average composition of the sample. So this is what we use as a starting point. So we see that the sample had nearly eight hours of sleep on average, was sedentary for about 10 and a half hours a day, had quite high levels of standing, which is really important. As I mentioned, we want to be able to differentiate that from other activity or sedentary behavior types. They spent about an hour and a half in light intensity activity, and then our moderate to vigorous intensity activity driven largely by high um, brisk walking, um, was about 80 minutes per day. And this is a, an overall summary of what, our, um, of what we found. So generally, we found that more time spent sedentary relative to the other behaviors had a negative impact on all of the outcomes, whereas more time spent in any of the other four activities, so sleeping, standing, light or moderate to vigorous physical activity, had a positive association. And to dig into a bit more is that we found a real hierarchy of behavior. So it wasn't as simple as behaviors being good or bad for any outcome, but rather it depended on what the behavior um, replaced. And sleep is, is a great example here um, because it is beneficial if it's replacing time spent sedentary. But if we are 
increasing our sleep at the expense of activity, whether that's MVPA, light activity, or standing, um, that's when we started to see um, more, more negative effects. And I, I've put these three behaviors in the middle, light intensity, standing, and sleeping, just to, to highlight how close the relationships were. So there's still a hierarchy, but it's a bit more complex and a bit more nuanced than the clear benefits of moderate to vigorous physical activity and the clear negative impact of, of sedentary behavior. So using BMI as an example, we looked at the reallocation plots. So what we did is we took the reference composition, so the average um, person in the sample. Um, these figures are adjusted for age, sex, and cohort. Um, and we looked at, at what their typical day looked like. So we see someone with 10 and a half hours of sedentary behavior. We wanted to see what would happen if we replaced other behaviors with sedentary time, adding in uh, more sedentary time. And we saw this hierarchy of behavior. So if we're replacing our moderate to vigorous physical activity, which is at the top of our hierarchy, with more time spent sedentary. So here we see about 30 to 60 minutes. We can see quite a stark increase um, in BMI. And you can see that the, the sort of slope of the line um, decreases in this hierarchical way. So replacing standing and sleeping at the bottom had a less deleterious impact than if we were replacing physical activity. And we can look at both sides of the graph, what happened if probably something we want to do more, we replaced our sedentary behavior with these um, behaviors. And again, you see that, that hierarchy here. More time and moderate vigorous physical activity was associated with this theoretical reduction in BMI. We, this plot here is very similar. So instead of for sedentary time, we're now looking at moderate to vigorous physical time. I note that the axis is different. So now we're looking at minutes instead of hours, um, which is why the slope of the lines are slightly different. Uh, but we still see this, this hierarchy be of behavior, um, a bit more overlap given we're looking really at sort of 30 to, to 50 minutes um, of, of behavior being replaced. And then we also wanted to quantify what happens when we increase, so we add in some, some of this beneficial activity, the moderate to vigorous physical activity. And we again see this sort of graded impact on our outcomes. So sedentary behavior, which was the most deleterious behavior, could theoretically, so replacing 30, uh, 30 minutes of sedentary behavior with 30 minutes of moderate to vigorous could theoretically lower BMI by 0.63. So what you can expect from the full paper is these reallocation plots for every behavior. So thinking of a five panel figure, one for each of the five parts of the composition, um, describing the reallocation between every pair of behavior. We did this across six detailed outcomes. So BMI had sort of the clearest, the clearest outcomes, very, very clear to see the difference between those, those five behaviors, where some of the other cardiometabolic biomarkers had some more nuanced associations. We also stratified results by males and females, and sneak peek is that we observed a slightly stronger associations between the behaviors and the outcomes in females, and also slightly stronger associations in those with lower levels of MVPA. And this makes sense. If someone has 100 minutes of MVPA per day already, and they're adding 30 minutes, it's not going to have as much of a benefit as if you're starting with five minutes and adding in that extra half hour. And then also we looked at um, defying some of these, these theoretical changes. So I gave one example with 30 minutes, but we look at this across all outcomes. And um, we also quantified the minimum behavior change needed to observe a difference in the outcome. And this was as few as five minutes per day um, for some behaviors and outcomes. And then also looking at what behavior change would be necessary to observe a clinically meaningful change um, in BMI. And we used 
decrease of 5% um, as our reference there. So just to summarize the findings, we found that MVPA was the most beneficial behavior and that sedentary behavior was the most deleterious. This was consistent across all outcomes. And then we observed the general hierarchy of behavior that were most beneficial for the six outcomes with a little bit of overlap between light activity, standing, and sleep. So some key implications. These results here specifically with MVPA really highlight that the intensity of the activity is essential when we're looking at these cardiometabolic outcomes. So we, we do have to move beyond to simply sit less and move more. Perhaps light activity that isn't causing any demand on the cardiovascular system isn't, might be fantastic for musculoskeletal, for mental health, but isn't having a large enough impact on the cardiometabolic outcomes. However, we, we did note that the benefits of physical activity overall is, is greatest in, in those with lowest levels um, of activity. And then kind of coming back to my first point about this um, intensity activity is that there are different ways to modify the movement behaviors to get benefits. So while MPPA certainly seems to be the best in terms of sort of the time efficiency, so for a short period of time, you can have the, the largest theoretical impact, it is still possible to modify it in ways that are more feasible. So maybe MVPA isn't, isn't possible due to prior health conditions, for example. So there is some individual feasibility that would have to be, be considered. But again, if you know, there was no constraints, I would say from a time-efficient perspective, um, MVPA is really the best sort of bang for your buck in terms of improving your health. And just to acknowledge sort of the, everyone who was involved in these projects, as we've alluded to, it has been years of work and it wouldn't be possible without all of these people, without our funders, and of course, without the help from the, the cohort PIs and the participants themselves. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Excellent presentation and a great job in distilling what is a, a very dense and uh, complicated set of results. And just to echo what you've also said, they are a huge amount of work over a long period of time and great to see, see that out there and, and being published in, in really great journals. We do have some time for questions. If you haven't posted in the chat yet, please do so. We have a few minutes. First question I'd like to come to here is in reference to your hierarchy of activities. And I, we, in those analyses, in those models, are you assuming a linear association between sleep and health indicators? I guess that would also apply to other activity types as well. So are we assuming linearity in those models? Thank you. That's a great question. So the, the model itself is not, it's not assuming linearity. We could have observed a nonlinear association with sleep there. We, we didn't, but sleep is a very complex behavior, as we know. So it, it, we, we were sort of not necessarily with this data set, with a small data set so far, but we're expecting to see that low levels of sleep and high levels of sleep might be adversely affected. So this is something that we really want to look into. As, as Peter discussed, we do have some limitations in sleep in that we're capturing, we're truly capturing time in bed right now. So we don't have, this isn't capturing how the quality of sleep. We do have some self-reported measures that we are trying to, to harmonize to better understand how quality of sleep might impact um, the outcomes themselves. So still very much um, an area that we're trying to explore. Thank you, Joe. Given that we have a little bit of time, I thought we could revisit one of the questions that actually came in for Matthew's presentation, but I think it's, it's relevant here as well in that our analyses up to now are using intermediate kind of metabolic markers as outcomes. We have a question from 
Tim Chico, what level of healthcare data is activity data linked with? Do we have it linked with electronic health records, for example? So just looking perhaps a little bit further down the line for us in ProPass. Thank you, Andy. I can answer this one. So the short answer is that it really depends on different cohorts and what they've actually collected. So some of our cohorts have only recently collected accelerometer data. So in the last couple of years, we don't really have enough lag time yet to be including prospective measures of health. I can speak about BCS70, which is a UK-based cohort, and it has fantastic linkage to hospital episode statistics. So we, we are able to derive um, measures based off of ICD-10 codes and mortality. Again, this is something that's going to vary for most cohorts, but we're trying, that's, that's in our sort of plans over the next year, is really to pull in those longitudinal outcomes, harmonize those in order to obviously improve the, the type of evidence that we're, we're presenting here. Thanks, Joe. We'll go with one last question before we draw this, this first session of the conference to a close from Andreas. Will the advice based on the results be the same for participants with various compositions, i.e. those deviating from the average? For example, participants standing for many hours, with few hours of sedentary behavior and some physical activity. Thanks, Andreas. So we, we were able to hint at this when we stratified by um, low and high levels of MBPA. We just use a, a median cut point to, to separate those. I think the short answer is that we're not expecting them to be the same. And it's, it's nice to think about this anecdotally. So if we have somebody who is, has a desk-based position, so they're sitting, sitting all day, perhaps sitting on their commute to work, um, sitting watching TV at night, the benefits of replacing that sitting time with MVPA, it's going to be a lot um, stronger than someone who might have a more uh, manual-based job. So on their feet um, all day, perhaps heavy lifting, so, so some high-intensity activity in, um, involved there. And, and actually, perhaps the sedentary behavior of someone who is active throughout the whole day might be um, a benefit. So maybe the recommendation needs to be um, having a bit more rest at night. So one, one thing that we're very keen to develop is more personalized guidelines. So if we, if we think about the reference composition, that was just an average for the whole sample. But if people are able to give their current day, so what does a 24-hour day look like to you? Um, what are your activity types? So using the, the um, variables that Matthew presented, um, then we can look at and model how different reallocations um, might have different impact on the, the outcomes. Thank you, Joe. And thank you to the other three speakers in this first session. We'll draw this, this first half of the, the day to a close. We're going to take a 15-minute break now. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.